So this weekend we are celebrating uh, Independence Day, July 4th, and uh, everybody's on vacation celebrating this weekend, uh, just about everybody. Uh, I'd like us to uh, watch a short video about, uh, it's called Freedom, about our Independence Day. Freedom, it's something we cherish in this country. The idea of a free society is embedded into the very core of our nation. Many have died defending it, and many have fought diligently to preserve it. So where has it gone? We've become a nation bound by division, chained by hatred, and consumed by selfishness. There's an epidemic of violence, poverty, brokenness. Does this look like freedom? The Bible tells us we're called to be free, but it also says to use that freedom to serve one another humbly, in love. Maybe that's what we're missing in America. Today, we celebrate Independence Day. Perhaps it's time we recognize that true independence is found only in a lasting dependence on God. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. pray one more time. Father, we just thank you for the freedom that we have in our country. Freedom to worship you. Freedom not to worship you. God, we pray that we would use the freedom that you've given us to worship you. We pray, God, that your word, your gospel would spread across this land in new and powerful ways this year, and in the years ahead. We pray that people would find true freedom in serving you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, our message is about the question, is Jesus the Messiah? Is Jesus the Messiah? This is a very important question. For what a person thinks about Jesus, who Jesus is, influences their lives and their eternity. Christianity is a completely unique religion, unlike any other religion on the planet. And what makes Christianity unique is its founder, Jesus Christ. The word Christ, which many people speak, uh, sometimes honoring God, sometimes not, means Messiah. Christ means Messiah, which is the anointed one. It means that he is the anointed king, anointed king of kings. Kings were anointed with oil in the Old Testament. Now, the coming of the Messiah had been prophesied for thousands of years in the Old Testament. The first prophecy of the coming Messiah is found in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. In this verse, Adam and Eve had just sinned. listening to the temptation of the serpent of Satan. And God was now 
speaking to them and in this verse to Satan and pronouncing what was going to happen in the future. Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you, that's the serpent or Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he, the offspring of the woman, and offspring of the woman shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so God is saying way back thousands of years ago that an offspring of Eve, a human being, would crush the head of Satan and destroy him at some future time. In fact, that's what Jesus did. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God, that's Jesus, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He came to fulfill that ancient prophecy and to crush Satan's head. The Old Testament is filled with over 300 prophecies about a coming Messiah. Most were fulfilled in Jesus' earthly ministry, and a few have yet to be fulfilled when he comes the second time, as we're going to talk about in a minute. Not only would the coming Messiah destroy Satan's power, he would also bring, begin to bring into fullness the kingdom of God. A prophet, Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, 6, says of the Messiah, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government or kingdom shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we see that the Messiah would be an offspring of the woman, he would be a human being, but here we see he's also Mighty God. He's also everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. And so this Messiah would be King. He would rule and reign over the government, over the kingdom of God. And how is Jesus' message, how is his teaching summarized? Well, we see it in Luke 4, 35, many other verses. Jesus said, I must preach what? The good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so Jesus' message was the message of the Messiah about the kingdom of God of which he was the king, the king of kings. It began to break into our world through his ministry. question that we're addressing this morning is Jesus the Messiah. We know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, because he fulfilled over 300 prophecies of the coming Messiah. It would take us weeks to go through each and every prophecy that was fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He claimed to be the Messiah. He revealed himself as having the glory of the Messiah, glory unlike any other human being had, and we're going to talk about that today. He died on the cross, but he rose three days later. And he's alive today. And since Jesus is the Messiah, and we'll validate that point even more as we go through the scripture today, the only wise choice is to worship him, to serve him as the Messiah. To worship Jesus as the Messiah is the only way to have a relationship with God in this life and a relationship with God in eternity. So let's look a little more closely at this question, is Jesus the Messiah, as we 
continue our study in chapter 9 of the book of Luke. See how Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Beginning in verse 18. The disciples were with him, with Jesus, and he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Now at this time, Jesus had been active in ministry for quite a while, and crowds gathered to follow him wherever he went. He had been doing three main things. Been following along in this message series, Hopefully you know what those three main things are. First of all, preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. Secondly, he was healing the sick. And thirdly, he was casting out demons from people. And so Jesus asked the simple question of his disciples, who do the crowds, who do the people that are following me, who do they say that I am? And he got three different answers, but they were all very similar. All the answers thought that Jesus was some type of prophet. At this point, John the Baptist was, was dead. Some people thought he'd risen from the dead. Other people thought prophets of the Old Testament had risen from the dead. Some thought he was Elijah, who was long gone too, so I guess they thought he had risen from the dead. However, the crowds are usually wrong. They were wrong back then. And they're usually wrong today as well. Although Jesus was a prophet, he was much, much more than simply another prophet, as there had been many down through history. And then Jesus asked his disciples a second question in verse 20. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And so Peter gave the right, the only correct answer of who Jesus truly was. God revealed it to him that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the one who had been prophesied for thousands of years. He had finally come into the world. You see, a prophet is simply a human being who God is speaking through. But the Messiah is, is completely different. The Messiah was to be God in human form. Fully human and fully divine at the same time. Peter had received the revelation that this Jesus that was walking, talking with him and his fellow disciples was the Messiah. God in human form. Now the people of Israel thought that the Messiah would be a military leader, that he would come and defeat the Romans. But that was not the purpose of the Messiah. And Jesus made it very clear right after Peter gave the right answer. You are the Messiah, the Christ of God. Jesus said in verse 22, the son of man, referring to himself. Must conquer the Romans. No, no, that's not what he said. Must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so Jesus acknowledged that Peter is, was right. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ of God. But he begins to correct the misconceptions that the disciples along with the other people of the time had about what this Messiah was going to do. Rather than ruling and reigning at that time in history, 
the Messiah was going to suffer. In fact, the prophets had prophesied that, but people ignored that because that didn't sound too appealing. The Messiah would come, he would suffer, he would be rejected, and he would be killed. But that was not the end of the story because on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. The resurrection is the ultimate proof that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied, the Messiah of God. Now this morning we need to ask ourselves the same two questions that Jesus asked his disciples. First of all, who do the crowds say that Jesus is? Crowds around us, St. Louis in America. Well, most in the crowds, I would think, is they would agree somewhat with what the crowd 2,000 years ago said. Most people would think Jesus said some good things, some things they liked. At least he was a good teacher. And some would even say he was a type of prophet, like all the other prophets. He was a good teacher, the best of teachers. He was a prophet and a human being, but he was much, much more. So in the passage that we studied so far, we see that Jesus accepted the title of Messiah. Messiah means that Jesus was, as we read from the prophet Isaiah, mighty God. He was everlasting Father. He was God in human flesh. So what are the possible responses to Jesus' claims that he indeed was the Messiah? First of all, we can't say with the crowds that Jesus was a good teacher or a prophet and not the Messiah if he claimed to be the Messiah. What would you think of me if I claimed to be God or claimed to be the Messiah? You would say, well, most likely he's, he's a liar. He's saying something he knows not true to get people to follow him. Or perhaps he's not lying intentionally. Perhaps he's a lunatic. Perhaps he's crazy. He thinks he's the Messiah, but he's not. But if Jesus' statement is true, that he is the Messiah, if Peter had it right that he is the Christ of God, then he must be the Messiah. He must be the Lord. You can't have it both ways. So what are the implications if Jesus is the Messiah? If Jesus is truly the Messiah, the Lord of all, in fact, the one who created the entire universe, including the world in which we live, what must our response be? Well, we must follow him. We must follow Jesus, the Messiah. And so Jesus goes on to tell his disciples who he's talking to what their response must be to him being the Messiah. Verse 23, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So his disciples had got it right, at least Peter had got it right, and probably the others went, oh yeah, Pete, you got it right this time. They were agreeing with him. If that was really true, what were the implications for his disciples? What were they to do with this, that knowledge? 
And Jesus said they're to do three things. First of all, they are to deny themselves. Secondly, daily take up their cross. And thirdly, follow Jesus. You see, when you think about these three things, these are another way of presenting the gospel. To deny yourself is to turn away from your selfish, sinful lifestyle. It's another way of describing repentance. To turn away from that. To daily take up your cross is to do what Jesus is going to do, right? He's going to take up his cross. You're going to follow him in that. You're going to follow him. You're turning away from your sin. You're dying to that old way of life. You're taking up your cross, taking up what God calls you to do, and finally, following Jesus and following Jesus. Committing your life to following Him. Submitting your life to Him as the Lord, as the Messiah. Jesus goes on to say the implications of these three things in verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So Jesus was teaching his disciples back then, 2,000 years ago, and he's teaching everyone today who is his disciple or who is thinking about being his disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, he says, you need to lose your life for my sake. I don't know. Do a lot of people like that, to lose their life for Jesus' sake? It's not so easy to be a disciple of Jesus, actually. To lose your life for Jesus' sake. What does that mean? It means we spend our whole lives serving Him and not serving ourselves, which is the essence of sin. The end result, if we lose our life for Jesus' sake, is that we're going to gain true life. We're going to gain eternal life. That begins in this life and continues forever eternity the world around us is not going to last in its present form the life that we see the things that we see are one day going to be destroyed Jesus tells us we must live for eternity by giving up everything to follow Jesus he talks about the judgment that's coming at his second coming verse 26 Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We'll talk more about that in a minute. We must put Jesus first above everything else in our lives. Above the voice of the crowds that would seek to make us ashamed of him. Jesus says in verse 27, I tell you truly, there are some coming or standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, what is Jesus talking about seeing the kingdom of God? We're going to unpack that in the next passage, next point this morning. Jesus was going to unveil himself in a way that had never been done before. He was going to reveal what the king of the kingdom really looks like to his closest disciples. But his point is that since Jesus is the Messiah, we must follow him. 
So Jesus gives some frank instruction to his disciples who are there in person and to us today about what it means to follow him as the Messiah. You know, to follow Jesus, to become a believer is not simply to get a ticket to heaven. It is that, but it is much, much more. Following Jesus is to take up our cross daily and follow him. Just as Jesus took up his cross. To deny ourselves the things that we want to do that are at cross purposes to his kingdom. We are to seek his kingdom first. And so it means we can't live life like the crowds around us. We're going to stand out. We're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to be different. The crowds that are not following him. But the rewards that God gives both in this life and for eternity make it worthwhile. In fact, make it the only rational choice that we have. So I'd encourage you this week to think about what Jesus' words mean to your life. What does it mean in your life to deny yourself? What does it mean in your life to take up your cross daily? What does it mean in your life to follow Jesus? And those are questions that we must ponder, not just once, but every day of our lives. The new challenge to follow what Jesus is calling us to do. God will give you answers to those questions. And as you follow him more and more closely, God will bring blessing into your life. Finally, we're going to see how Jesus revealed the Messiah's glory. Now, about eight days... Verse 28, after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Now, Jesus had done many miracles, right? And some would say that proved he was the Messiah. But didn't his disciples do the same kind of miracles? Yeah. They were told to do the exact same thing that he was to do. They were to preach the kingdom of God. They were to heal the sick. They were to cast out demons. So those miracles didn't prove Jesus was the Messiah. They proved that the power of God was with him. The Spirit of God was with him. But now Jesus was going to do something. He was going to unveil his glory in a way that no human being could ever do. And so as Jesus was praying on this mountain with his three closest disciples... Peter, John, and James. It was as if the veil of humanity was torn open. It's as, I'm dating myself, you know, Clark Kent and tear, tearing off his suit and there's Superman underneath. It was as if Jesus opened up and they saw what he was really like. It was not unlike any other human being. His face... And his garments and everything began to shine with a blinding light. Reflecting, revealing the glory of the Son of God. I'm reminded of the vision that the Apostle John had of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Where he saw Jesus, the Son of Man. And it said his face was shining like the sun in full strength. You can't look, even look at light of that intensity. And that's how Jesus revealed himself to his three 
closest disciples. Not only was Jesus' appearance transformed, it's often referred to the Mount of Transfiguration, not only did that happen, but something else, very supernatural, happened. Very unusual. Once a unique circumstance, verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Moses and Elijah had been dead a very long time. And all of a sudden, they were there. I don't know if they introduced themselves or how they do this. Were Moses and Elijah, because nobody knew what they looked like? I say, I'm Moses. Oh, okay. I'm Elijah. There they were. They appeared with Jesus. Uh, they'd been in heaven with Jesus, or with God. Jesus was on the earth. They were in being with God. Uh, they were believers uh, for all that time. And now they came and they began to talk with Jesus and his disciples were listening about what was going to happen. About his departure or exodus. Undoubtedly talking about Jesus dying on the cross, raised from the dead, and ascending back into heaven. Leaving the planet for his disciples to carry on. Now, we're not going to read it, but Peter you know, had some ideas what to do. Peter always has ideas what to do. So he wanted to build some tents there, some little tents so they could all, I don't know, be sheltered from the sun or something and, and hang out for a while. And um, that was not God's plan. So verse 34, as he was saying these things, as Peter was, you know, kind of shooting off at the mouth, some nonsense, basically, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so finally God the Father spoke. He thundered out of this cloud, which for some reason was a, a fearsome cloud, a cloud of glory. He announced that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was his chosen one. Jesus was the Messiah, and they were to listen to him. Obviously not to Peter. <laughs> listen to him, listen to everything that he says. And when God says listen, it means to listen and obey. Listen to what Jesus was saying and obey. Now this, I'm sure, was an experience that Peter, John, and James would remember for the rest of their lives. It was indelibly imprinted in their memory banks in their minds. And they would never again have a shadow of doubt that Jesus was not the Messiah. They believed, they'd seen a supernatural, otherworldly experience with Him. And they would follow Him for the rest of their days and ultimately lay down their lives for the kingdom. Jesus had revealed the Messiah's glory. And so Jesus the Messiah came to this earth to fulfill God's mission. It's a mission to destroy the power of Satan, to provide forgiveness by his death on the cross, and to bring the kingdom of God near to all. And the capstone of that mission was, was his death on the cross and then being raised from the dead three days later. 
He spent 40 days instructing his disciples and then he ascended back into heaven. And after he ascended into heaven, he would begin to pour out the power of the Holy Spirit on all of his disciples who sought it. To empower each and every one with the same power of the Holy Spirit that he had on the earth. And even though Jesus had ascended back into heaven, the kingdom was going to continue to advance. Through the church, through his disciples. The supernatural power of God would continue through believers on this earth. The gospel of the kingdom would continue to be spread by his church. Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. The power of God would continue to be revealed through people being healed, set free from demonic powers. But as his followers, as his disciples, we still await his second coming. Because we do not see all of the devil's power completely eliminated, do we? The kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is advancing. But the culmination has not yet come. And we await his second coming. And when he comes the second time, this time he's not going to come as a carpenter, he's going to come as a king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to banish all evil, all unbelievers. All of the curse is going to be banished from his kingdom, from this earth. Heaven's going to come down from earth. And the kingdom is going to continue forever and ever. Now, one day, the Bible tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But it is only those who confess that Jesus is Lord in this life who will spend eternity with him. After he comes the second time, everyone is going to know. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. But if they wait until the second coming to acknowledge that, it's too late. It's too late. God gives everyone an opportunity in their lifetime, the Bible teaches, to either accept or reject Jesus as the Lord, as the Messiah. And if a person accepts Jesus as the Lord and Messiah in this life, in their lives, they will spend eternity with him. If they reject him in this life, when he appears, they're going to say, I, I was wrong. But it's too late. It's too late. May each of us accept the opportunity in this life to bow our knees and acknowledge Jesus as Lord and the Messiah. And may we do all that we can to lead others to make that same decision in this life so they can spend eternity with him as well. To become a follower of Jesus Christ, been talking about it already this morning, we need to repent, to turn away, to deny ourselves from our sin. We need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, died on the cross that we might be forgiven, ask for forgiveness, and submit our lives to following Him all our days. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray that prayer.
If you'd like to do this for the first time or to recommit your life this morning, I encourage you to pray along with me. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned, I've done wrong things. I turn away from those things, I repent. I believe that Jesus the Messiah died on the cross that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me. I believe you rose from the dead. Alive today and I submit my life to following you as my Lord and Savior all my days. Let's pray as well for what God has spoken to us this morning. Father, we thank you that you made it so clear that Jesus was not just another man, not just a good teacher, not just a prophet. He was the Messiah who was God in human flesh. We pray that we would grow in following him as the Messiah, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him each and every day. We thank you that you revealed your glory to those disciples. And that experience, that incident is written down in your word, and we believe what it says. God, we pray for America today that people would recognize you as the Messiah, that they would repent, they would believe in you and follow you. We pray for a revival, God, to come, for your spirit to sweep across this nation, for people to be gripped with conviction of sin, that they might turn away from that sin and receive forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Now we're going to have a time for healing prayer. Read a scripture from Matthew 8, 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah of the Messiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So if there's someone that you know who's sick or you're sick yourself, have some ailment in your body, we're going to pray for them. We want you to keep that in your mind as we pray for those who are sick. I encourage you just to lift your hand up as you call upon God. So we're going to pray for those who are sick this morning. Father, this morning we thank you that through the power of your Holy Spirit you bring healing to those who are sick, God. We pray for those that we know of who are sick, we pray for any who are sick today, who are gathered here in person, who are watching online. We pray for your spirit to bring healing into their bodies, to make whole what is diseased or wrong or needs, or needs recovery, God. We ask for strength. We particularly pray for those who are battling with some form of cancer. In the name of Jesus, we come against that cancer in Jesus' name. We pray for healing and wholeness, for that cancer to shrink up, to go away for complete remission and healing to come. We pray for those in our church family who are battling cancer today. For Jerry, for Tom and others, God, in Jesus' name. We pray for those that we don't know who are battling cancer. We pray for your power to bring about a miraculous healing, God. We ask all of that 
believing that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.